0: This is Matt. I'm the lead pastor of Westminster Baptist Church. Thanks for engaging God's word with us. Uh, my prayer for you is that this would be supplemental to your discipleship journey. Uh, if we can connect you with a local church or discipleship group, uh, please contact us at info at discoverwbc.com. Hey Amen. So when I was in high school, I was uh, running track and playing football and I liked the 40 yard, I liked the 100 yard, uh, 100 meter, but I really did not like the 400 meter. Uh, Whether it's the relay or just me running solo, I was not a big fan of it. Uh, If you've done it before, you know that about 350 meters in or 300 in, you hit this thing they call the wall. The wall is that moment where your mind, your body, and your lungs tell you stop. And uh, it's that point where the people are really separated from those who win and those who lose who break through the wall. At that moment, you have to decide, am I gonna endure to the end or not? Now for me at that time, 400 meters was a long run. I remember uh, when I was running cross country, one of my coaches saying, all right, we got a, we got a 5K tournament uh, race coming up this weekend. and I'm like, 5K? That's three miles, coach, I ain't running that far. you know. For me, it was like football is like a four-yard burst. You know, that's all you really need is four yards. All your effort for four yards. I'm comfortable with that. The short was more comfortable for me at that time in my life. And, you know, I I think about even in our, our own lives, what we do often in our life is we go for the short game, the short run, the short experience. For me at that time in my life, it's easy when you can get victory from short, when it looks good, when it feels good, when everything around is like, all right, if you can go short and still look good, I don't got to run for two hours. All I got to do is run for 10 seconds and they're going to give you a trophy? Okay, I'm definitely going to do that, right? Life is not that way. As Christians, we're going to face temptations. We're going to face difficulties and distractions. We're going to face little gods in our life that want to distract us from what God has for us. We're going to face people who want to distract us from what God has for us. In the little journeys of life, It's easy to get caught up in the the glamour. It's easy to get caught up in the glory. It's easy to get caught up in the the, the temptations that feel good, look good, and are good for a temporary amount of time. But the Christian faith is the long journey. It's the long run. It's the marathon of life. As Hebrews 12, 1-2 tell us, it's the end of this letter, but we're going to start at the beginning. I just want to read this over you. It says... Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. From cross to crown. So, along the journey of your life, you're going to face difficult temptations, trials, distractions, frustrations, all of these things that are going to try to steal your family, your friends, your job, and your calling from your life. But in this journey towards hope, towards life, towards love, towards fulfilling what God's called you to do, I pray that you will find strength in your Creator, the one who created you from all things, and created you and all things, and sustains all things, and saved all things. That's Jesus. The amazing thing about this creator and sustainer and savior is that Jesus today wants you to fix his eyes, uh, your eyes on him that you might find strength so that you can do the same. So that you can endure just like Christ endured. So that you can honor God, his Father, just like he did. Would you trust in King Jesus this morning? Following after him towards what he has for you. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So he became superior to the angels, just as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. The very beginning of this passage, verse one, starts with this eloquent reminder of who Jesus is. In fact, five of the first 12 Words of this letter in verse one are start with the Greek letter P. That word, uh, that letter, constantly reminds us of the eloquence of this author. But I think what it's doing is it's pointing to the majesty of Jesus. They're using what's called alliteration, like a good Southern Baptist pastor, the same letter over and over and over, to point us to King Jesus. It's just an eloquent way of saying the same phrase. He could have used many different words. In fact, the two of the first three words are what's called an hypoxlegomena. It's, the, uh, it's a word that is uh, only used one time in the New Testament. So he specifically found a word that starts with P and then another word that starts with a P out of other Greek, Greco-Roman literature and put it in here just so that you could know how majestic our king is. It's very intentional. Now, we don't know who the author is, though. We don't know who even the recipients are. We have an idea, though. Uh, we think it could be Apollos. It could be Luke. It could be Paul. It could be Paul speaking and someone else writing it down. But it most likely isn't Paul, because Paul starts usually with a salutation, and he usually identifies himself. I Hi, Paul, writing to who, whomever it may be. Well, we don't have that here. We just have a letter. But I think in this letter, we find some clues as to what the author wants us to understand. I think the author wants us to fix our eyes on Jesus, not on him. I think the author wants us to identify the, the writer of this letter to be Jesus, not a person. For instance, it says, long ago, God spoke to our ancestors. But the very next verse, it says, in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. So I think there's some anonymity here to show us that Jesus is the one speaking this truth. So back up to verse 1 again. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. These different ways and different times were um, through narrative, through prophecy, through parables, through love songs, through hymns. All sorts of different ways like apocalyptic literature were all used to communicate God's truth to God's people through God's people. So this is God's people to God's people, but in verse 2, look at this. It says, in these last days, in contrast to long ago, in these last days, long ago God spoke to our ancestors, but now in these last days, which is the time that Jesus has been working from the cross until now, from resurrection, the moment God established the last days where there would be salvation through his son, Jesus Christ, he's spoken to us by his son. So that changes things. Long ago, it was people to people. Now, it's God the Father in His Son to us. God to His people. There's a direct line, a direct connection between God's Word and God's people as He came into this world that's full of brokenness, and He speaks directly to His people. The verse continues, God has appointed Him heir of all things and made the universe through Him. When I think about Jesus, I think about Um, uh, his lineage. I think about David the king. I think about Psalm 2 verse 8 where it says, ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. Where it was promised to David that all things would be David if he would be faithful. David's if he would be faithful. But short story, just like all other situations, David fails. He doesn't inherit everything. Things fail. He fails. He struggles. He wrestles. He confesses. The short story is similar to our short story where we struggle, we fail, and we need help. It, it, further on, it, if you look at this, it says God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. When you think about heir, when you think about how God has appointed Jesus to be the son who would receive all of these blessings, in fact, inherit all of the world, I want you to take a moment to think about who Jesus of Nazareth was. When they hung him up on a cross to be crucified. The same man, Jesus of Nazareth, who's hung up on the cross to be crucified, only a few years later would be identified as the creator of the world. How quickly we can go from crucifying him to he's the creator. How quickly we can go from crucifying him and put him on the, the, tr- the, the cross that he created himself to This passage where it says he's the heir of all things. All things were created by him, for him, through him, in him. He is the king of the world. You know, I think about heir, I think about the son, and I think about Israel's responsibility to be the son. Israel was called sons of God. They were supposed to be the sons. They were supposed to be the, uh, the people that would embody God's law and God's living to the world, that everyone else would come to the nation Israel and find God, that they would find life and love and living the way that God wanted them to live. Israel was supposed to be the nation that drew all peoples to God. Not only that, David was supposed to be the king that did the same. He was appointed by God to represent this nation as kingship. He was going to be the king who would declare laws and edicts and judge and, and, and establish pr- protection and provisions for his people so that these people would be a representation to the world of God's glory and goodness that they might live in a garden of Eden-like experience on earth. Israel, the nation that would be like the Garden of Eden. David, the king who would be like God on the earth. But he was human. And Israel was full of humans. And it's a short story. They're more of a picture of failure when they try to have their own strength to overcome, their own strength to sustain, their own strength to do what God had called them to do. And in their own strength, they found their own failure amidst temptation, distractions, amidst glory, amidst things that for them looked good, looked like great things to follow after, great things to even do. In the short story, they fail. But in the long story, God uses this nation over many years and kings and the nation uh, ultimately to wind up to his son, Jesus Christ, coming from this nation to Christ. The long story is that God's, God's design, God's plan, God's promises came true. In the short story, there was failure. the long story, there was victory. In your life, you may experience many difficult, short stories. You're going to face trials and temptations and distractions. You're going to face failures. You're going to face things in seasons that you feel like, man, that whole season was a wash. It was a a mistake. It was a struggle. It was difficult. And I feel like my whole life is defined by this one season where I failed. But I want you to see God's long story. We're not running a short race. We're not finding victory in a quick moment. We're finding victory over time. We're finding hope over time, life over time, love over time. We are going to be, at the, at the end of time, raised up from the grave to show where our rightful place is as sons and daughters of the king. This life is a long race. It's not a short one. Short story, failure. Long story, victory. What does your day look like today? Are you living in and wallowing in the failures and the temptations and distractions and struggles of your day? Or do you have hope in the long story that God has for your life? The thing about short stories is this. Sometimes short stories are difficult, but sometimes they're the promise of good, the promise of things that look good, glory and fame and all of these uh, funding and finances that look good. It's like, man, this looks like something I I should do, right? But what's the long story for your life? What is distracting you from the long story of your life? And I want you to look at this in verse 3. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He is the radiance, the expression, and the sustainer. Not only that, He's the radiance we were supposed to be. Israel and all of creation was supposed to be the radiance of God. As Psalm 34 would tell us, uh, those who looked to Him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. We were supposed to be that radiance that Moses had coming down the mountain when he met with God, that they would embody the radiance of God to the rest of the world, that it would reflect the glory of God to the world, and the people would want that radiance to be shown all over the world. We were supposed to be the radiance. So here comes Jesus. The Son is the radiance of God's glory. But he's also the ex- exact expression of his nature. That word in Greek is, is literally, it's, it's, it sounds the same in Greek as it does in English, and it's character. But literally, it was, uh, the, and I think the closest way I could say this is like the... Um, have y'all ever been to like a mountain or a, uh, a tower uh, or some visitor center where you can put the penny in and then like two quarters in and then you start cranking it up and and out spits a, a penny with like the mountain inscribed on it? Y'all seen that? That that's like what uh, what they were doing in Greco-Roman culture was is they had coins that they uh, would stamp uh, with the inscription or with an exact expression the character of the Caesar or of a governor. What we are is we are, the, we are to be the images of God, the exact expression of God. That's why we don't create idols in God's image, because we are the image of God he has already created images for himself. That's us. we were supposed to be the radiance, the reflection, the glory, the goodness of God expressed to the world as the images of God. But because we failed as the radiance and because we failed as the exact expression, Jesus comes as the radiance and the expression of what we should have been. Further, he sustains all things by his powerful word. As he's sustaining all things, he's giving life, he's giving protection, he's giving provisions, he's doing what we were supposed to do. And we think sustaining, how are we supposed to do that? In the Garden of Eden, did God not call us to provide for the animals, to provide for the world, to protect the world, to care for the world, to steward over God's creation? This is the Imago day the image of God. The representation by radiance the representation by exact expression in our character and how we live, the representation in how we sustain what God has provided for us, whether it's funding and finances or uh, our stewarding over the blessings of, uh, of creation, whether it's our land and our, and our house and our car, uh, whatever God has given us, how are you sustaining it? Well, see, in all three of these things, we failed. But Christ is victorious. Short story, we struggle. Long story, God saves. Short story, we fail. Long story, God raises us up from the dead, even despite our failure. So I think about who this king is. I think about this heir. I think about this, this radiance and exact expression, this sustainer. I think about this savior who made purification for my sins. So not only does he fulfill what we should have fulfilled, he forgives us for what we didn't. He is making purification for our sins and sitting down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He is our king. So who is this King Jesus? I go back to it. Mid-first century, hung on a cross. Late first century, he's the creator. Who is this King Jesus? I think about angels. In verse 4 it says, so he became superior to the angels. He's far superior to the angels who brought the Old Testament law at Mount Sinai. And when they brought that Old Testament law, Jesus fulfilled it. What we couldn't fulfill, He did. What we couldn't show to the world, He showed. When I think about Jesus, I think about everything before Him and after Him can be summed up in His excellency. When I think about Jesus, I think about Him as the Creator, Sustainer, and Savior who yet humbly chose to be created by human birth, to be sustained by a human woman, and to be saved by His Father, God, from the grave after he died. When I think about Jesus, I think about the man from Nazareth who was murdered by Romans and Jews alike, and yet being the God of the universe who created those very Romans and Jews. When I think about Jesus, I think about the same Jesus who would give up his final breath being the God who gave his ver- every single breath to sustain our entire universe with his very words. When I think about Jesus, I think about the man from Nazareth who is the son of Mary and the son of God. Who is creating objects from wood, the same wood that he created. Who fished for fish that he filled the sea with. Who kicked dust up with his sandals that he wants to breathe life into and created humans. When I think about Jesus, I think about Jesus who is far superior to any angel or any man. When I think about Jesus, I think about a savior, a sustainer. I think about the exact expression of what we should have been. And what I ask you to do this morning is to think about Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, to think about Jesus as the one who in long term will sustain you not like an energy drink that provides for a moment so that you can go run 40 yards. But the Holy Spirit that, survived, that, that sustains you for a lifetime of faithfulness to Him. Verse 4 continues. It says, just as the name He inherited is more excellent than theirs, than the angels, right? Right? the angels being the messengers of god angels in greek angelos means messenger or or angel specifically those messengers brought laws specifically they brought the 10 commandments they brought the mosaic law now you think about let's go back to who is this written to probably to hellenistic jews probably to jews who knew the old testament really well based on how much old testament is in the book of hebrews they probably were in Greco-Roman cities, maybe Rome. We think Rome, and when they received this, to them, uh, this written to themselves, here's what they heard: Jesus is greater than the angel or angels that brought you the Mosaic Law. What we're going to hear throughout the Hebrews is Jesus is greater than Moses. He's greater than Abraham, David, Joshua. So put yourself back in that position and ask yourself this. What would it be like for them to hear that Jesus' name is above all names? That Jesus is above all angels? That Jesus is above all humans? I want you to think about this again. Jesus hung on a cross. The man from Nazareth, who is a fisherman and a carpenter, that man is greater than Abraham, who started the nation. Greater than Moses who led them out of Egypt. Greater than Joshua, who led them into the promised land. Greater than David, who was the king that united two nations. Greater than Solomon, who gave more wisdom throughout the Old Testament than any other. Greater than the prophets, who united back the people into their homeland. That man on the cross... Is far greater and superior than them all. That's my Jesus. Short story, he's a man on a cross. Long story, he's sitting at the right hand of God, reigning over all things. To put it better into our context, and to make you a little uncomfortable, because I want you to feel what they felt. Short story, Jesus on a cross, long story, he's greater than your president. He's greater than your constitution. He's greater than your government. He's greater than your health care. He's greater than your provisions. He's greater than your protections. He's greater than your house and your car and your job. He's greater than all things. to make us a little bit uncomfortable, we have to understand what they're saying to these people who had trusted in the law, trusted in the Ten Commandments, trusted that the Ten Commandments, if the, as long as they obeyed them and followed after these things and purified themselves with, same, with similar sacrifices, that they would be good. And then all of a sudden this writer writes to them, hey, Jesus is far greater than your law and your angels and your people. That man on the cross He's not just greater than all these things. He is God. And so when I think about Jesus, I think about the only one who can sustain us for the long journey. Hebrews 13, 20 through 21 says, Now may the God of peace who brought you up from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, equip you with everything good to do His will working in us what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. To God be the glory means to Jesus be the glory, because Jesus is God. And he's willing to equip you to do everything in life that you are called to do. What are you called to do? He will equip you. What short story are you struggling with right now? Matt, I got to run a 400 right now, man. I don't know what that looks like. Maybe in your job, it's a sprint. Maybe in your family, it's, it's sprinting towards health in your family, doing what is right. Maybe with your parenting, maybe with your morality, maybe with the decisions you're making, what you're intaking into your mind. With all of these things, we're having to make a conscious decision. Am I going to run a short race or am I going to run the long race? So I want to challenge you this morning. Life is a long journey. Are your eyes fixed on Jesus? As your savior, sustainer, are your eyes fixed on Jesus? I recently read a book called Outlive. It's a secular book, so I don't necessarily recommend it, but it does have wisdom from men because God dispenses wisdom to all uh, and we can find wisdom throughout different portions of the world. In this book, there is portions of wisdom, but I don't necessarily recommend it to you. I did read this, and in it, it teaches people how to live as centenarians. Uh, Those are people who live to be 100 years old. It's rare, but typically it's based on nutrition, physical exercise, and emotional health, stress levels, what you eat, and what you do. It's somewhat simple, except there's a little caveat. A big factor to centenarians, genes. Just simply how you were born. Now, we can't overcome that. We can't change what we have. Our DNA has been given to us since before the foundation of this world. But he does challenge you to live different with nutrition, physical exercise, and emotional health. The problem is I would add a few to this list. I think that what we look at with health span and lifespan is not enough. That's what he looks at. How long can you live, and how good can you live? It's not just about living until you're 100 years old, but can you do what you want to do until you're 100 years old? That's the question he asks. My question, and what I would want to add to that for you today, is this. Will your journey incorporate integrity, spiritual fruit, and spiritual gifts? You see, we aren't simply trying to live long. We're trying to live faithful. So I'd add to this health span and lifespan the idea of of faith span. What does it look like for you to live in a in legacy and endurance in your race to live with faith? Because many will run a short race and it'll look amazing, fast, and victorious, but who's going to run the long race of life and finish strong? Will you fix your eyes on Jesus for the long journey this morning? And second, the way we, re- we view the role of Christ matters, so study well study God's people, study God's word, study God's world, and learn more about who he is. Look at nature and creation and understand who your creator is more clearly. Look at his people and listen to his people and understand more about who God is, and look at his word. He's a near infallible, relevant, and sufficient word, and understand who he is. So what could you discover in God's word, God's world, and God's people that would cause you to fall more in love with King Jesus this week? My main point for you again this morning is this, run the long race towards Jesus. I'm not a huge fan of, I used to not be a huge fan of running long distances. Much of that has been changed by my man Garrett back here, who challenges me to run long distances. But in life, we have to ask ourselves, are we willing to go the long distance? Are we willing to fight for every inch of every mile, of tens of miles, of 50 miles, 100 miles, all throughout your life? That means that today, you make decisions not based on right now, but based on 10 years from now, based on 20 years from now. Not your fear of what could happen, that's called worry and anxiety. but of of your hope for faith span. Your hope for what God will do. Your trust in what God will do. Your faith in what God will do. So as a gospel response this morning, knowing what Christ has done for you, coming into a world that was broken and living throughout that life, enduring to the point of the cross. Dying on the cross and raising from the dead for you and for me so that we might have life. Knowing this truth, will you follow after him? And what I'm asking you to do, one of my favorite ways to say this is, will you be allegiant to King Jesus? Allegiance to King Jesus was an overthrowing. It was was, uh, uh, declaring that Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not. It was overthrowing all the little gods of this world and distractions of this world and saying, I have allegiance to King Jesus and him alone. And in our allegiance to King Jesus, it's going to ask you the question, what does it look like to follow after Him? What does it look like every day to believe in Him, to place your faith in Him, to to let go of the things of this world and to take up the things of God's Word and to do what God's called you to do? We are going to be the radiance and expression of God. We're going to sustain His creation as He called us to do. So will you follow after King Jesus with me today? Second thing I want you to do is the band comes forward. Will you write out your goals for the end of your life? I don't know the num- number of days you'll live, how many years you're going to live. No one knows this, except for Jesus. And in our knowing of, and our not knowing of how long we're going to live, we can know what we're going to do with our life. We can't know the circumstances that will hit us or the temptations and distractions that will hit us or the new opportunities, the great opportunities, the ones that look good, and the the good things that we get to enjoy, the fun stuff. We don't know all the things that are going to hit us along this journey, but we can choose whether we're going to have faith in the middle of it. So this morning, will you write out your journey? Your, your health span, your life span, and your faith span. Looking at, most importantly, what do you want people to remember you as with your ministry? What do you want people to remember you as in your, uh, your love for others? In your morality? How you follow Jesus? But most importantly, not what do you want others to view you as. How do you want God to see you when he raises you up from the dead? fighting, enduring, running the long race, or sprinting and giving up. Let's run, y'all. Let's run the long race. Today, if you're like, Matt, I want to run, what do I do? Well, this gospel response isn't just things to think about, it's things to actually do. So if you're ready, would you join me in the Simply 7 fast? this is ridding ourselves of the distractions of this world of distractions of this world and taking up a pursuit of god it's only 7 days out of, out of this month october 7 days that you'll give over to the lord and say i'm going to rid myself of these distractions and pursue after you lord if you're willing, there's documentation all over the church. There's websites about it, videos about it. I'll I'll help point you to that direction. Just come talk to me. I want you to participate in this, not for me, not for Glenn, not for Bill, for you, because I want you to fix your eyes on Jesus for the long race that is to come. Let me pray for you. Father, we love you, we trust you, we believe that you have good for us. Would you sustain us in this pursuit of doing what is right over the long term? God, where we've deterred, will you bring us back? Where we're tempted and struggling, will you help solidify our faith journey? Help us to take one good step at a time. We need your strength. We can't do this alone. Help us to fix our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. We need you, Father. In your Son's name we pray. Amen. If you have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more about following after Jesus, uh, please contact us and we would love to talk more about your relationship with Christ and how you can grow in your spiritual journey.